Hello and welcome to this episode of Future Talent Hub. My name is Rowan Holland and joining me on this podcast journey is Sarah Payne. Together, we're really excited to be bringing you this podcast series focusing on the graduate and future talent industry in Australia. Today, we're really excited and lucky to be speaking with Sean Tretcher, Director of Talent Acquisition Events, Diversity and Marketing, including Global Campus Recruiting at KPMG based in Chicago. Sean talks to us about how KPMG have developed a fully remote internship program across the US and some of the learnings along the way. Welcome, Sean, to Future Talent Hub, and thank you for joining us from Chicago. Thanks for having me today, Sarah. Happy to be here. Can you start by sharing a bit more about your role at KPMG and what you're responsible for? Sure. My role is as a director on our talent acquisition team. So I oversee all of the marketing and branding, as well as our inclusion and diversity activities, and the events and relations across all of talent acquisition. So that includes university hiring, experienced or professional hiring, as well as our senior talent or executive hiring. Okay, great. That's a big remit. Um, So we're talking specifically today about your internship program. Um, So to set some context, how many interns does KPMG hire in the US each year? And how long is your program for? Sure. We have two internship programs in the U.S. We have a winter internship and a summer internship. So the winter internship for us is approximately January through March. It's a 10-week internship. There's about 1,000 interns spread across our 85 offices in the U.S. We have offices pretty much every major city across the U.S., from Alaska down to Florida. The summer internship has about 2,500 interns. Uh, That's 10 weeks also from mid-June to mid-August. The big difference is that the winter internship is focused almost solely on our audit and tax interns, whereas the summer is split split pretty evenly between our audit, tax, and consulting interns. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. That's a lot. (laughs) That's a big intake compared to what we see in Australia, but that's amazing. Um, So let's talk about this year's program. So your most recent um, intern program, and obviously with the pandemic, everything kind of got flipped on its head um, and you had to go fully virtual with students participating remotely. Um, So what changes did you make to the program structure to adapt to that? We had to make a lot of changes for this summer because when when COVID became a big issue in the U.S. was really mid-March, mid to late March. And that's the time we typically would have been planning the bulk of the summer internship. And our internship is evaluative for the full-time role. Our, our goal in the U.S. is that about 90 to 95 percent of those interns will convert to full-time associates upon graduation. So the internship is a key driver for full-time hiring. So what we had to do was look at what kind of experience could we still give these 2,500 interns? There was a lot of talk of, do we cancel completely because we didn't know what was going to be on? The firm didn't know whether we would be going to clients, if clients would need us. How do you manage this number of interns if they're not going in offices because it looked like offices are going to be closed? So there was a, a lot of talk around that for a couple of weeks and really within a short time span from mid March through mid-April, we find we had to make the decision to go to 100% virtual internship and to cut that down from a 10-week evaluative internship to a 80-hour 
um, spread over four weeks. So essentially two weeks worth of work, but spread over four weeks and non-evaluative internship. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. And um, so how I mean, you, you talk about it being the, a, a sort of feeder into your um, graduate program. So how did you sort of assess the students or make, you know, decisions around offers? Did you, and what's your conversion rate looked like this year when you're aiming for that 90 sure. to 95%? Yeah. Right. It's uh, the benefit we had was that our main competitors in the U S were doing the same thing we were doing. So there wasn't as were other companies. So there was a concern by going to a virtual internship and cutting down in the number of hours, which also cut down in the amount of pay interns would leave. But if they did leave, they real they had nowhere else to go because every company in the U.S. was in the same position. In fact, many were just completely canceling the internship. So what we decided was if we weren't going to be able to truly evaluate them over this short 80-hour period, they were significantly evaluated in getting their internship offer. So they went through a full recruiting process, two interviews and an office visit to ultimately get to the internship offer. If we did not give them a full-time offer after the internship, we would have to go back to campuses and do that same process again of two interviews and an office visit to make a full-time offer to somebody. And the historically what we've seen in the US is the best students go through an internship. So did we want to just trust the evaluation we made maybe a year early, or did we want to go back to a new set of students a year later that have a year of school, extra year of schooling under their belt and make an offer? And the feeling was there would not be quality left. So we would just decide to give a hundred percent of them an offer. So that was a big change. Whereas normally about 95% would get an offer. And from those about 95% would accept, which is how we get to approximately a 90% conversion rate. This year, it was decided 100% would get an offer. Uh, at this point, all offers expire December 1st. So we'll know completely in, in a few days. But at this point, we're looking like uh, it's over 90, 93% was the last I saw acceptance rate, which is not surprising because there weren't a lot of other opportunities. I, I think we did a great job, but we also understand there aren't a lot of other opportunities for students. They, they're viewing it as if you've got that full-time offer, you should probably take it. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. And I'd like to sort of um, step back a bit and, and talk more about how you actually manage those students remotely sure. in the workload. But just quickly, how did the business, how did your stakeholders feel in terms of that comfort level, like you said, of making those permanent decisions earlier before going through that evaluative you know, process? Was there a lot of pushback or concern about yeah, it? Great. Great question. There was a lot of discussion with them. Ultimately, it was a business decision. The, the recruiting teams did not make the decision. But when we talked with them, what they realized is they were in such a state of flux trying to figure out what their own full-time staff would do. Typically, those would be the people evaluating the interns. And we asked them, do you want to try to evaluate these interns in a remote environment? And they said, we don't have time for that. We have to just figure out how to serve our own clients. So we are willing to give all these interns a full-time offer as long as we don't have to manage their workload like we would typically do on the business side because they just didn't have time. This all came up too quickly that they didn't have time to manage that. Um, I know we'll probably get to this later, but that has changed for the upcoming winter internship. But what they feel, felt was we made the decision, we as a firm made the decision to hire these people. Let's go ahead and give them the offer. The few that end up not being good fits, it's 5% or so each year anyway who don't get an offer. Those people will probably weed themselves out in the first year of work. And it wasn't worth the effort to try to evaluate them 
in the summer, given what they were trying to manage on the client side. So they made a, a business decision that that was where they wanted to go. Mm, no, that's great. A really, really pragmatic um, approach yes. to it, which is great and makes sense. So just stepping back a bit. So what sort of um, what experience did you provide to the students? So over that sort of, like you said, the yeah. four week, 80 hours or what, what were they actually participating in and how did you deliver it? And what else did you do to, to sort of make them feel connected or, you know, with the brand and, and sure. firm? Yeah. Great question. And uh, this was a six-week project that I was a co-lead for. And this was a major project to all of a sudden convert to a full virtual internship program in six weeks. And so there were a couple components. The, the most complicated was the technology component. In the U.S., all interns get a laptop when they join. And they weren't. That was not practically possible given the cost and the shipping. So we received approval to give every intern an iPad. So every US intern was shipped an iPad that was theirs to keep. Um, so the firm paid for 2,500 iPads to be shipped out. It was actually cheaper than buying laptops and, and shipping them. And the reason they needed an iPad or some kind of device was what we decided to have them do during the internship was training. And much of that training you could only access through a KPMG device either a KPMG laptop or a, a iPad that has that is linked to the KPMG system. So that technology component was a major component um, with obviously a, a significant cost to purchase all those iPads, but still significantly cheaper than laptops for everybody. And then we had to decide what would they do during the internship. We focused on a couple different components. There was a training component. We estimated that about 60 of the 80 hours would be training and development. Of the remaining 20 hours, there would be approximately 10 hours of that dedicated to leadership and firm-wide connections. And I can explain a little more on that in a minute. And the remaining 10 hours would be local office connections, or eight, remaining eight hours, because about two hours of onboarding and technology uh, updates. Uh, so the remaining eight hours are really local office connections. So the way it broke down the local office connections was we developed this, this task force of about 20 people, developed a toolkit for all of our 85 offices to use and how to manage local connections. Things that included assigning every intern a staff mentor. That's someone in their first or second year with the firm, as well as a partner mentor. So someone, an executive level person with the firm. And they were required to have at least two touch points with each of those people, one-on-one -on -one touch points. So it was up to the local office. So the recruiter in Orlando, Florida, she had to figure out how to manage which people to use for her 15 interns. But we gave her a toolkit that had sample emails, agendas for conversations, how to manage it, the, the website to use, uh, Microsoft Teams in our case, the technology to use for these conversations. So built out a toolkit for all of the recruiters to use. So it was a consistent process throughout the country. A second part was the leadership connections. So that first part gave them the connection to the local office that they were losing because they weren't going to physically be there. The second part was the leadership connection. We wanted them to hear from some of our key leaders. So these were sessions that we had and we recorded all of them in case people couldn't make them live. But we had our chairman, our deputy chairman. Uh, we had our chief economist talk about how COVID was impacting the economy. We had our head of culture speak. We had our head of uh, people, human resources, as well as our head of training and development. So all of them spoke in, in 
live video uh, interactive sessions that were open for Q&A. So those were sessions for the students to attend. Then the bulk was the training development. We actually used a system based out of Australia called Inside Sherpa. At the time, they have since changed their name to Forage. Uh, but that was, we designed five modules on that platform that were training modules that had a series of short video or, link or audio components that were a learning followed by a project they had to do or short, short project or, or, or deliverable. We worked with two professors in the US who we have worked with all the, for years to develop other training for the firm. And we paid them to develop the 60 hours of training. So they recorded themselves on video, delivering the training, added in other YouTube links and videos and other research components. And students could go on and pick and choose which module, which of the five modules they wanted to attend, as well as we included links to all to trainings the firm had already developed that were only accessible through our KPMG systems, hence the need for a KPMG device. So there were over 150 hours of courses available for the interns, and we used it like a college course catalog. They could pick and choose where we also would recommend these are best for people in audit. These are best for people in the technology industry or in tax or consulting. And then they could pick and choose which training they wanted to do as long as they got to the 60 hours of training. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that gives you a good background. I know it's yeah. a lot of information, but I'm happy to go in depth if you want on anything else there. No, oh, that's great. That's, that was really interesting. Um, and what sort of feedback did you get from the students, I guess, and the business who participated, the mentors and yeah. Sure. Uh, great feedback from the students. So we did a post-internship survey. Uh, it was anonymous so that we would hope we could get more honest feedback than if you ask uh, someone to put their name on it. And the feedback was overwhelmingly positive. Uh, they loved the training. Uh, the professors really did a great job. I think that was a big hit and that we didn't try to develop these trainings on our own because our recruiting team are professional recruiters. We're not professional teachers. But if you can get two faculty whose job it is to teach college students for a living and been doing it each for 25 plus years, they know how to teach college students. And they had been doing it virtually because their schools had gone virtual. So they were experts on this. So that was great feedback. Uh, the students loved the fact that there were modules that they could pick and choose from. If they wanted to focus more on data and analytics, they could take several of those courses. If they wanted more audit methodology, they could focus on that. So they really enjoyed that. They liked the fact that everything was either pre-recorded or live, but then recorded also. The reason we did that, and I explained that it was 80 hours over the course of four weeks was important because while we paid them for this internship, we paid them $2,000 US, which is typically what they'd get in about half a month of work, give or take, the, depending on their location. Uh, but we knew that some of them, this would not be enough money for the entire summer, given other expenses they had. So by making this pre-recorded, they could get other jobs during that time. While there weren't other internships available, if they wanted to work at McDonald's or do something else to at least earn money, be an Uber driver, they could do something like that because they could take these courses at night, on the weekends. All they had to do was get to the 80 hours. The only thing that had to be done live were those conversations with the KPMG professionals, the, the staff mentor and the partner mentor. So the students loved the flexibility. They loved the training. They loved hearing from our leaders, although I will say hearing from leaders is not always the favorite part for a lot of interns. We felt we needed to do that. I think it's important 
I would do it again, but I don't think that's their favorite part. They love the one-on-one -on -one connections. They love their conversations with the staff person who was two, three years older for them and could tell them what it was really like working. They also love the one-on-one -on -one conversation with the partner because they may not get that in a live session. They may be on an engagement team with other people and not get to see the partners much. So they really enjoyed that. From the business side, the business loved it because it didn't take a significant amount of their time. They could focus on how to deal with clients in this virtual environment, but they also loved the partners and the staff mentors getting to know these interns in a more intimate setting than in taking five to lunch at once. Now they had one-on-one -on -one, and even though it was via video, they could be more casual. They didn't have to wear a suit. They were in their t-shirt and shorts or whatever, maybe just having the conversation. So it was great feedback given the situation. They would have all preferred, they said live client interaction, 10 weeks, but that wasn't an option. Given what we had available, they really enjoyed it, both the business and the students. Mm -hmm. oh, that's great. Really good feedback. And apart from the, you know, you talked a little bit about the leadership not being, the presentations not being, you know, um, yeah. as, as much of an interest, but is there any, any other lessons learnt that you took away from that process or program that you would have done differently or that if you would, you know, if someone else who's looking to implement something like that, it should be a consideration for them? Uh, two big things. Uh, one is when offering them options for training, I think we offered them too many. It became overwhelming. And we thought the more we offered, the better, the 150 hours, and they only had to pick 60. But there were a lot that seemed interesting to them. And I think they just, it was overwhelming to a lot of them. They wanted a little more prescriptive training for their group. So I think that was one we probably should have given them a little more advice on if you're this, if you're in our state and local tax practice, while you have all these trainings available, here's the 60 hours we recommend, or here's 90 of the 60 pick from this. Uh, we tried to be more open with it to give them more options, but that became too confusing. The other thing, which was a big issue is technology. Uh, I and, and probably others assumed that 20 year old students would be great with technology and could set this up in an instant. But the fact is they can't, not from a work standpoint. And when you're trying to connect to work systems, there are things you have to do to connect to any employer system, even on an iPad. And it takes time and it doesn't always work perfect. And their Wi-Fi connections in their homes may not be perfect. So I think we should have allotted more time. We did get our help desk to allot a number of hours dedicated just to the interns on the first two days and not taking calls from other people like me at the firm with issues, but, but be dedicated for the interns. But we only allotted two hours for iPad setup, thinking, oh, it's easy. It's an Apple device. They know all this. No, it took a lot longer and there's just a lot more complications. So I think anytime you're using technology where you're not over watching them physically set it up, it's just not as easy as you think it will be. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. That's a really interesting point, actually, because you're right, we do assume. <laughs> and yes. um, yeah, you've got to kind of almost prepare for the worst case and plan yes. for what ifs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what are your plans then for next year or the upcoming winter program? So will you continue with virtual sort of remote elements, do you mm -hmm. think moving forward or yeah? So yes, we will We will have to be virtual this winter given the, the way the virus is going in the US. Uh, however, we have changed and it will be a traditional client facing internship. So client facing in the sense that it'll be 
working on client work, but it'll be virtual. So a typical U.S. intern, I mentioned it's 10 weeks. The first seven days are training. Those will still be training. Typically, they would all go to Lake House, which is our uh, beautiful training facility we built in Orlando, Florida, and they'd spend a week down there doing live training. They will still do that, but it'll be virtual. So not as fun for them. They don't get the night trip to Disney World or anything like that, um, but they will still go through the training. And then the final eight weeks will be client chargeable in internship. So uh, much like our full-time people and much like an intern in a typical season, they charge their time to clients. So they will be working on client engagements just like the rest of our teams are doing. Uh, it'll just be virtual. Uh, they will not be required to travel to any client location. If a client has a need and they want to travel with partner permission, they will be able to, but we don't anticipate that happening very often because even at this point, it's rare that anyone other than the partners are traveling to clients. Uh, so it will be more of a traditional internship. The big change is it will be done virtual. Um, we will be giving them laptops, not iPads because of that. Uh, so we're planning more in advance of that, knowing the cost and the shipping components. Uh, and then the other thing that will be the big change, though, is they will not be required to relocate. I'd say 80% of our interns intern in the city they're from. But there are, especially for some of the larger cities, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, we often have interns from around the country that move there for the internship. This time, they won't be required to do that because it doesn't make sense for someone from Chicago to move to New York and pay three times as much in rent to do a virtual internship mm -hmm. when they can just live at home with their parents. They're allowed to move if they want, but they, that's not required as part of it. But they will get their full salary like a regular intern. So it'll be most similar to a regular internship just done virtually. Mm, that's interesting. And, and I guess it'll be interesting to see if this becomes a bit more of the norm around this virtual, you know, moving forward, maybe that's how you'll run the program. So like you said, the students don't have to relocate. <laughs> you know, they can yeah. be based anywhere. So that's, it's interesting. Do you think that that's likely to happen? I mean, what's your view on that? I, that's a great question. And that is one that we are looking at It'll be client dependent and project dependent. Uh, I think what COVID has shown is that a lot of the work that we do physically at client sites can be done offsite, but there's still a lot that needs to be done at the client site and the team building you may get with the client is still important. So I think what will change, uh, and I don't have a complete crystal ball on this, but is that if a client team typically went to the client five days a week, every week to work, that may change into saying you only need to be at that, that client location one week a month. So maybe if that's the case, you don't have to live as close as you typically would to that market. You will just fly in or live in a less expensive place and come in. Uh, for some of our consulting clients, where uh, and our client, any client pays for our people to be on site, but most of them are local. So the payment is just mileage or parking. But mm -hmm. for those consulting clients, we may have paid for an out of town team to stay in a hotel and fly and be there for six weeks. That's a cost the client pays. The client may look at that and say, you did really good work without us paying for 12 people to be in a hotel in the Ritz Carlton for six weeks. Why don't we pay to have you for a week at the beginning, a week in the middle and a week at the end? And maybe your partner comes out every week, but we don't need the whole team. So I think there will definitely be changes like that. And it will have a major impact, I think, in the expensive 
cities. In in the U.S., you're really talking New York and the Bay Area, San Francisco, Silicon Valley area, where housing prices are just outrageous. And so I think students, if they can live in Los Angeles, which is cheaper, it's not cheap, but cheaper than San Francisco, if that's where they're from, and just travel to San Francisco on a 45-minute flight once a month for their client, that may be seen as a lot more palatable than living in a 100 square foot box in San Francisco mm. because that's all they can afford. Mm, yeah, it's really interesting. I think we, you know, it'll be a matter of watch this space and yeah, yes. see how it does play out over the next sort of 12, 24 months. So, right. um, no, that's great. Thank you. And just one last question. Um, sure. Just thinking about your, I guess, your, you know, graduate or campus strategy in yeah. the US for KPMG next year. Is there anything kind of innovative or anything different that you are looking to try that you can share with us that, sure. um, yeah. Happy to share. And I, I, I will say this has been helped out by COVID, but it wasn't a result of COVID. And that is, uh, it's really shifting our strategy to better use technology, realizing that in the US, we actively recruit at 350 schools, meaning physically go to over to about 350 schools. We don't need to go to that many. A lot of these schools yield one, two, or even zero hires per year. Uh, we go to them because we always have. And so the feeling is we can do more things virtual. We still need to physically be on campus at about 150 to 200 schools in order to compete. But we're moving a number of the schools to virtual. And I think in the past, the fear was we had this plan for the last couple of years and we've been building the technology to do it. But the fear was many of our business side professionals would say, oh my gosh, you can't stop going to this school because I went to that school and I was great and you hired me 35 years ago from that school. But what they're seeing now is that we can do a lot virtually and that that school that is four hours away and we spent $10,000 to send five KPMG people there and do all these interviews to get one hire is just not worth it. We can still recruit there, but now we can do it virtually. And instead of that student just meeting the five people from the closest office, now that student can meet people from around the country because it's done virtually and they can apply for any position throughout the country. So that is a big change that will go into effect in January. The other one, which is not necessarily maybe new for you in Australia, but in the US is we are adding assessment testing. Assessment testing is not something any company has used to a great deal in the US. Uh, the main reason is the legal hurdles with it. The US has way too many lawyers. Uh, so there's always lawsuits around assessment testing. Uh, we are now going to add assessment testing as a way to add, add some more objective measures. When we look at our, our diversity components and our, our ability to hire people from diverse, ethnically diverse backgrounds, as well as women, especially in the technology field, we struggle with some of that. And so using some more objective measures and getting away from as much of, oh, they're like me, so I want to hire them. The hope is an assessment test will add, much like a grade point average, will add more objective measures that can be used. So all of this goes into effect uh, mid-January with this major project we've been working on for a couple of years. So that will be hopefully innovative. It's definitely innovative for our industry in the U.S., maybe not as innovative to people elsewhere in the world, but it's definitely innovative in the U.S. Yeah, no, that's great. That's really exciting. Well, um, perhaps we can touch base at some point mid-next year or something and see how it's yes. all going and where you're at at that point. We'd love to talk to you again. So before we, we let you go, um, is there anything that any other final uh, bits of advice um, that you'd like to, to pass on, you know, to people in Australia who are heading into the campaign planning for 2021 based on what you've learnt going through this process this year? 
Yes, there's definitely some things we could pass along here. And I, I would put it around the term of virtual fatigue. It's over the last year, couple of years even, we've heard a lot in the US, you've probably heard it in Australia with all the different vendors and companies that offer great solutions to do things virtually over the computer. <coughs> Excuse me. You don't need to go to this location anymore. You can just talk to someone via Skype, via FaceTime, via Zoom, whatever it may be. And what COVID taught us was we had to shift to this model immediately. We didn't have a choice. We couldn't physically be going places anymore. And the thought was this generation, especially of students, would be very comfortable with that. And they would be able to adapt very easily to a, a computer-based, a virtual environment. And what we're seeing, not just with students, but with the population in general across the world, is people want to get out. They miss the physical interaction. So I, I think a lesson we have learned that people in Australia can start to think as they go into their recruiting season is there are many great virtual tools out there. There are ways to do things and save money and save time and people by communicating via web-based technologies. But the human interaction is not something that's ever gonna go away. And there can be virtual fatigue. People who spend eight hours a day, like many of us who are working now, sitting in front of a computer, talking to other people on the computer, it becomes very challenging to want to do that in your off time. And if students, are in similar positions where they're on virtual classes, for example, the last thing they want to do is continue virtual conversations with employers, even though they need a job. So finding a, the right balance between saying virtual tools are great, they help us connect, they can save money, they can help us connect to that faraway university that's really hard to get to, or the student who's studying abroad in another country, or connect with some person who's traveling. But they aren't a replacement for complete physical interaction and getting to know the people you're going to work with. Uh, people will just get bored if they're spending the whole time talking online. They, they want more of the, the interaction with people. So that's something I would say, it, it don't just assume as you go into your recruiting season here that you can do everything virtual when you can get back physical with people. Try to do what you can and balance that out. Find the right balance between the two. It's mm -hmm. great advice. Thank you. Um, th that's been really great, Sean. Thank you so much for those insights and, um, and takeaways from that experience. And like I said, it'd be great to catch up with you again and see how things are progressing with your programs. So I've just, just, <laughs> I've just got um, one final segment that we, we um, have in all of our uh, episodes and it's a quick, it's called three and three, just three quick fire questions, um, three words or less. So firstly, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself as a student or graduate? Improve my writing. Okay, that's a great one. Um, number two, what do you consider the most important attribute for someone starting their career now? Flexibility and mm -hmm. self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, I heard the self-awareness one the other day. I really like that. Um, and number three, if you hadn't become a talent acquisition director in your role, what do you think you would be? A chef. Oh, really? Do you, do you cook a lot I, at home? <laughs> I do. I really enjoy cooking. It's it's kind of my yeah. hobby um, is I love to cook. So Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, again, thank you so much, Sean. That's been, it's been wonderful to talk to you and um, really appreciate your time and thoughts. Thank, thank you, Sarah, for having me. I really enjoyed this and happy to talk again in the future as you do have other questions or want to hear more. Great. Thank you. So thanks, Sarah and Sean, really great insight into uh, graduate recruitment, internship recruitment uh, in the Northern Hemisphere. 
and sort of a spotlight on the US, which was really interesting, I thought. So just a few takeaways that I sort of picked up from, from the discussion today. Um, so the importance of connecting humans, in other words, one-on-one -on -one connections, and the fact that that was the top-rated feedback uh, by participants of the program, I thought was really important. Uh, also, number two, giving students too much choice uh, on courses with training and the idea that, that Sean was talking about really to narrow down the options and give less options um, around you know, courses and training. I think sometimes too much choice on a menu uh, becomes overwhelming. So that, that was an interesting insight as well. And on that note that the, the tech setup was harder than, than they thought in the planning for this. So uh, with participants maybe not being as tech savvy on setup of, of laptops or iPads as they thought. And finally, the takeaway I picked up from today was that, you know, the forced sort of COVID lockdown um, and just the pandemic about how widespread that's affected everything um, really made KPMG be more targeted and to really rationalise where and when they spend time, money and resources. So I think that the idea of return on investment generally as a program, I thought was really interesting from Sean and about moving forward what, what they want to do and the learnings that they've taken out of this time of what's really necessarily and what's not. That includes, you know, where and which campuses to uh, to approach and where to spend time on campus. Granted that the, the volume and scale is, is much bigger in the US than it is here in Australia, but, um, you know, very valuable insight for all of us nonetheless. Um, and that sort of goes to source of hire. So how can we look at our source of hire um, and where we're getting our talent from and then, you know, reinvest more time, effort, resources into those, um, into those institutions? So I just wanted to say thank you for listening today. Uh, it's been a really great insight and really great having an international guest um, like Sean join us. So as always, um, please follow our podcast if you found this interesting um, and connect with Sarah or I on LinkedIn as well. And we'll be talking to you soon.